Hello, welcome back to the Sustainable-ish podcast. How are you doing? I'm going to say it, I can't believe it's December. Has everyone opened their advent calendar this morning? Hmm? My youngest has been more excited about December than I think he is about Christmas Day itself, which is kind of nice, I think, because hopefully it means he's picked up on some of my not-so-subtle mini... I'd like to say conversations, probably lectures, (laughs) about the fact that Christmas is about the food and the music and the season rather than simply about the presence on the big day itself. I've been resisting his pleas to watch Christmas films and play Christmas songs up until now, but the first is now here and I anticipate we will be immersed in all of that pretty quickly. Don't forget, if you are looking for ideas and inspiration for how you can make some tweaks to your Christmas traditions and you're planning to mean that there is less waste, less stress and less impact on the planet this year, I have a crap-free Christmas course ready and waiting for you. You can find it on the Sustainableish website and I will also pop a link in the show notes. So, today's episode climate and play might not be two things that we naturally put together and even less so climate or climate action and playfulness. Climate change, as I'm sure we all know if we're listening to this, is a huge, overwhelming, complex issue and couldn't be more important. So we need to take this seriously and absolutely need to be bringing our best game. There is no room for messing around, right? Well, maybe not. I absolutely loved this chat, and I hope you do too, with the brilliant Lucy Hawthorne, who is founder of Climate Play. And she is, and I quote, making it safe, light and fun to face climate change. Lucy runs a range of workshops and programmes that help people work through the emotions, the information and the actions associated with climate change. In this episode, we discuss playfulness as a mindset and why that's so important when it comes to tackling big, serious issues like climate change. Now, you might think that climate play workshops, especially ones that involve Lego, are aimed at children, but that is very much not the case here. Lucy's workshops are for grown-ups and very often grown-ups working in proper grown-up jobs in proper grown-up companies. We talk about the importance of play, especially for adults, how it expands our minds and puts us into a great positive frame of mind, meaning that we're at our best when attempting to tackle such big and complex issues as climate change. There was a phrase that Lucy used at one point during the conversation, something like using play to put a softer edge on things to be able to have the harder conversations. And I really loved that. I know that I can get very caught up in the importance of this work and the pressure that I put on myself to get it right because so much is at stake. And that can mean that I'm probably pretty intense when I attempt any conversations around climate change and climate action. Allowing ourselves, and by ourselves here I mean myself, (laughs) to experiment and be more playful with what works and what doesn't to let go of that fear of failure that I know I certainly have because we can't fail if we're just experimenting and trying some stuff out. That really is such an important mindset shift and one that I'm going to try my best to embrace along with the idea of embracing and doing more of the things that bring us joy. Thinking about how we can do more of what we do with a genuine smile on our faces. 
And speaking of big mindset shifts, look out for the brilliant one right at the end where Lucy shares the power of simply swapping one simple word in our vocabulary and how that can make us more motivated, more likely to carry on doing it, and it is climate action in this context, and more likely to be smiling while we're doing it. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love that. So enjoy this one, obviously with a big smile on your face, and I will catch you on the other side for this week's good news. Hello, Lucy. Welcome to Sustainable-ish. Hello. I'm very pleased to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Jen. <laughs> I love it. You, um, Yeah, very pleased to have you here, Lucy. Enthusiastic. Um, can you introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and what you do. Yes, I'd love to. So my name is Lucy Hawthorne and I am the founder of climateplay.org. Uh, Climate Play is a different way of trying to engage people in climate change in that we use play-based learning to try and open up conversation, reflection, connection on climate change. And that involves a lot of Lego. <laughs> And that can be no bad. As, as the mother of two boys, that can be no bad. <laughs> but the thing is, it's all for adults. Yeah. So it's not, just, uh, it's not just young boys that can uh, benefit from a bit of Lego in their, in their life. Yeah, definitely. So what's your background? So my background is, well, my background is I'm, in, I'm an environmental campaigner, historically, or a social issues campaigner. But I spent a long time working in the charity sector and with NGOs and working with government in the UK. And essentially, I got a bit tired of it because it feels like you're trying to push something very big and heavy up a hill. Someone, um, um, someone used the analogy with me the other day, um, trying to blow water uphill through a straw. And I was like, oh, that's quite a good one. <laughs> you know, that, I can relate to that experience. Um, and that over time, I found it, we had, you know, we had some really big wins. We had some really big successes. But that over time, I started feeling a bit, jaded about the way in which we were going about the work because it felt like we were playing games um linked to playfulness but it felt like we were playing games with politics but we weren't actually deeply engaging decision makers yeah um, and really truly changing hearts and minds we were rather kind of working out how to fairly effectively shuffle things around the board a bit and so I became really interested in climate psychology and um, what deeply motivates people and how do you kind of really connect with people. So if you shuffle forward a few years, I'm now a facilitator and a coach by trade, but I'm very much combine those experiences of trying to work in kind of, you know, shaping public opinion. How do you change government's mind? Um, and how do you just try and relate to people? And I now bring that experience into into my work as a as a trainer and a facilitator. So was that quite scary going from having? I mean, um, I think any charity and NGO job is never air quotes secure, is it? It's always dependent on funding, and you're often sort of chasing pots of funding for particular roles and things. But to 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 give up that uh, paid employment and to take a deep breath and did, did you know that you were going to end up focusing on climate play or were you just like, I want to do something on my own that is not this? <laughs> Please, anything but this. <laughs> um, no, so climate play is definitely an evolution. 
Um, and I can say that there's probably a lot of podcasts dedicated to self-employed people <laughs> and why it's quite great and why it's really extremely difficult um, that other people can listen to. But no, I mean, climate play has definitely been an evolution um, and it probably took, I would say, two years of pottering about and prototyping and trying different things out to see um, if it can fit. So no, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't look back to myself five years ago or, or that classic careers advice to you when you're 16 yeah. and say, Lucy, what you should be doing for your, <laughs> what, how you should be finding purpose, meaning and employment in life is getting grown-ups to play with Lego and talk about the environment because I don't think that was on the the list um but that's part of the joy of this work because I have miraculously found some kind of niche that doesn't exist but one that I think is actually really pretty productive unfortunately I enjoy it so what a bonus yeah because I was going to say to you you've, you've created something that as far as I'm aware hasn't existed before like are there other people doing similar things sort of looking at climate and climate comms and through a through a lens of playfulness or are you a real um am I a total or... renegade yeah <laughs> <laughs> no I mean there's there's lots of parallel work I would say that I've not really come across people who are doing precisely what I'm doing so I think it is it is unique and at risk of sounding pretty grand it is a little bit counter-cultural but I maybe yeah. we'll talk about that um, but the the methods I use, in a way, they're not they're not um, completely new off the blocks. So Lego Serious Play, which is the main thing I do, I do do other things as well. That's a method that's world renowned and is used in loads of different contexts to essentially help people communicate, to reflect, to, to come up with ideas. So it's used a lot in you know in business and personal development. So that's not new per se. But it hasn't really been combined with how do you deal with difficult conversations or kind of wicked problems like this in a in a systematic way. Mm. And that's, I guess, what I'm trying to offer. And particularly through climate play is to help other people learn how to use these approaches themselves, because it's it's all based around trying to make it accessible. And how do you have helpful conversations that don't freak people out and make their brains feel like they're leaking out of their ears <laughs> um how can you have really productive useful conversations and bring that into whatever work you're doing on climate or sustainability engagement yeah um just to pick up on that phrase you used in case people haven't heard it that that idea of a wicked problem and uh, yeah. climate change in particular being a wicked problem what does that mean basically means it's really complicated <laughs> and um, it's not like wicked in the like down with the kids context <laughs> well, I, I am from the 1990s so um uh maybe it's got two meanings but a wicked problem is essentially something that isn't easily solved and relates to lots of other things and so when you think about sustainability more widely people often think you mean just the environment. And mm. of course, that's a big part of it. But it also very much relates to things like gender equality, uh, poverty, biodiversity. It links to our political and economic systems. Mm. And so you kind of pull, you know, you pull one lever in the system and it has a knock-on effect somewhere else. So a wicked problem is when you're trying to look at the whole big splodge of stuff together 
and work out where are the most useful places to push essentially it's like a, a you know a big tangled ball of wool or string or whatever isn't it and you've got to kind of yeah. work out how to to unpick it without making yeah. other things worse in other in other places yeah um, and I think that's, that's one of the things that's really difficult with engaging people in climate and sustainability is that it 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 feels like a giant ball of string for people and so they don't know where the end of the string is or that actually there's 48 different strings within that one ball and it's partly just about trying to make it a bit easier for people to yeah. engage in the, in the in the simplest sense and the the phrase I use is that I try and make it safe light and fun for people to face climate change so that we can help them engage more deeply honestly and creatively in a subject that can feel quite overwhelming yeah and you you were talking before I asked my wicked um wicked problem question about and I'm paraphrasing the importance of talking about climate change and and how difficult that is for so many of us and um so with with my carbon literacy training, I've called it talking climate and, and the thread running through it is trying to encourage people to be a little bit braver, to have a few more of these conversations. But um, it's really hard and it's really hard to have a climate conversation, not A, to have a climate conversation and B, to, to do it well so that people don't end up feeling attacked, um, that you don't end up, you know, feeling sort of judged and and jumped upon and, and for the people for both sides of that conversation to come out feeling okay about it um so for you what are some of the barriers that you see that stop people talking about climate change oh that's a question I think first of all it's just really important that we look at it as a human problem Mm. so that there's a tendency to look for you know technological solutions and economic solutions and that's obviously part of the mix but fundamentally it's a human problem in the sense of how do we feel about it how do we talk about it what are we scared about what are we optimistic about mm-hmm. and that you've just really got to rehumanize it um because fundamentally it's humans that are making the decisions and humans that are creating this and for me personally I'm just really interested in human psychology. That's what powers me. So that's, you know, that's the the driving influence, I guess. I think, you know, your question essentially on how is, why is it hard? What doesn't help? Is that there's a tendency, I think, for the blame game. Mm. And I feel quite obsessed about this because we don't always attribute blame in the right places or proportionately. Mm. And you know, my work is really, really focused on trying to make it accessible at the risk of using more lingo, about trying to make it easier for people to get involved, stay involved, get more involved. And there is a risk that the the way that climate change is talked about puts people off, yeah. it makes them feel judged, mm-hmm. it makes them feel stressed. And there'll be loads of research out there that talks about how people feel about the way that climate change is talked about or how they're talked to about it. Um, And we need to just do the opposite. So we need to not be having conversations that make people feel stressed or overtly blamed. And that, you know, the bigger story is about saying, well, where is most impact coming from? And we know that's from 
particular percentage of the world's population it isn't um you know and we need to kind of think about how the bigger questions influence our outcomes and not just have individual people feel like they're being told off essentially yeah and I think you can challenge people to think about the their behaviors and how you know what impact they can have personally but it just needs to be proportional and it needs to be done in a way that is actually inviting yeah I went off went off on a rant sorry no it's 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 so difficult and um like there's a lovely video that I showed during carbon literacy training that is um I don't know if you come across it it's it's kind of like um stick figures and it's how to have a climate conversation and and it's basically about listening and about literally the aim is just to have a conversation with somebody it's not to get your point across it's not to win the conversation it's not to tell them what to do or how awful they are or anything like that it's just to listen you know and so literally that question like how do you feel about climate change I think can just be a really powerful one to ask your partner your friends your um and then sit on your hands and and that is incredibly hard to do you you know it sounds like a super easy thing but it's incredibly difficult to do um talking about the blame thing uh, this isn't where I thought this conversation would go at all but I don't know have you seen there's been a lot of coverage in the Guardian and things about a new report that's come out about the um the the top 10 percent the richest 10 percent in the in the world are responsible for 50 percent of emissions and the top one percent for even more and and I've had a few I don't know I feel quite uncomfortable with the way it's been spun or reported because the world's richest 10% isn't who we assume it is. The world's richest 10% is probably people like you and me. And the yeah. world's richest 10% is anybody earning over about 32,000 £32, And even when we look at the world's richest 1%, that's people earning, I think they said over 120,000 pounds. So we may all know somebody in that wage bracket. And I don't think it's very helpful for the messaging to be, you're all bastards, it's all your fault. Like, what the hell are you doing? I think maybe that that's um you know the the super super rich because we assume the top 1% is the private jets and the all this and it's not that's the super 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 rich. Um what are your thoughts from a psychological perspective of how what the messaging around this should be because it's it's um we absolutely need to acknowledge the impact and take responsibility for it. But, you know, if you've got people at the bottom end of that 10%, they might actually be really struggling financially if they've got kids, you know, families and all those sorts of things. So how do we how do we frame that messaging without it without people getting feeling attacked and defensive? There's your wicked problem right there. <laughs> um, I think it, it is, you know, I think it's challenging, but ultimately we just have to tell a positive story. Mm. You know, it has to be a positive story based on solutions and what's possible. And it also needs to be told in a way that feels universal, you know, about it needs to be a shared experience. And we need to talk about progress and we need to talk about what is changing mm. so that people can be, people feel motivated and actually interested in what is possible. Um, as opposed to, you know, I say sometimes, you know, doom times doom is just doom squared. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a place for, there really is absolutely a place for um, hard facts and hard reality. Of course, there is. It just needs to be. It needs to be balanced. So I'd say, you know, the most important thing is to is to frame your conversations in a positive way. 
Um, I think it is also, as you said earlier, it's about listening to the real challenges that people face on a day to day. I think any time you kind of put numbers in there of, you know, say £32,000, yes. uh, it's tricky because then people are more likely to be able to identify with that. But I guess, you know, there's no straightforward, simple answer is I think that short of talking about the super rich or the very, very rich, it's generally not very helpful to point mm-hmm. because basic rules of human psychology is no one likes being told off. Yes. <laughs> you know, and actually, if you think of it, a school analogy, you can sit in a classroom and tell the kids they're all terrible because they haven't done their homework. It, it might make some of them do their homework next week, but it's probably not going to engage them deeply in their yeah. education. So sometimes, actually, I think we do need to be able to hold back um, in order to make a bigger progress. Yeah. And that that framing that you talked about and that. I've been thinking about this so much recently, how we make a cleaner, greener, fairer future aspirational, how we air quote sell that, because at the moment, the messaging is um that the future a is going to be this apocalyptic scenario and b it's going to be bleak and austere and and you've got to manage seven bins and they're going to come and they're going to take away your cars and do you know and and like of course nobody wants to move towards that like why would you want that okay. but actually that couldn't you know if we get this right we could have clean greener cleaner cities we could have healthier populations we could have um better connection we could have more abundant nature and biodiversity we could have you know the fairer societies uh less inequality or like or it could be amazing and we're not telling that story i don't think let's get you let's get you to the to the un jen <laughs> um, yeah i mean what well, what can we gain rather than what can mm, we lose yeah I, I talk about this in my work quite a bit about so the the link I guess with play and playfulness is it's all about people's motivation and how you help them kind of naturally move towards things so what are the pull factors that draw people into wanting to change their mm. behaviors rather than the push factors of you know uh, being forced to do something or feeling compelled to do things out of uh, guilt for example yes how can you actually, you know, what's going to pull the issue closer to people? What's the what's the incentives for them? Mm. Um, and there's lots of ways. There's lots of ways of doing it. I'm so intrigued by the by the play aspect. But first of all, I feel like this is a question. Like for anyone who watches QI, and when they say the word and they go, ha, 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 it's the question that I'm sure you get asked all the time. This is a really serious issue, Lucy. We shouldn't be playing around with this. This, you know. Fun shouldn't come into this. This I got told off on Facebook once for like making some kind of joke about climate and got really jumped on by somebody. Um, and and I and I really disagree. I I absolutely think part of it is that we need to make the 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 process of doing, as you said, when you were in that NGO, it was really hard and you got burnt out and you hated it. We need to make the process of doing fun as well at the same time. So why is that for, for you the fun and the play element? Why is that so important? Well, do you know one thing is that I think we think that's what we're supposed to think. And I'm not sure if actually we think we're supposed to think it should be hard or Yeah. So I actually don't get that much kickback from people because when I when I founded Climate Play, I was kind of expecting to get um 
a bit more grief to be honest mm. um about about trying to kind of do do this in what feels like a um, completely the opposite way and I've actually been really pleasantly surprised at how receptive people are for this approach now that might not be everybody and it may not be the approach that totally clicks with everybody but for a lot of people they're really looking for something that's going to help them and it is actually whether you call it play or something else there is a real benefit to lightness Mm. and if we go into the, you know, what is play, really? So people think play is running around in circles and, you know, playing games. That's the activity of play. But playfulness is much more important, which is actually a mindset. So it's kind of a mindset, a way of being, a way of kind of looking at the world. Um, that is kind of when you're at your best. It's often how people... We learn through play. It expands our brains, literally, if you look into the neuroscience of play. So it actually puts us into a really great frame of mind. And why on earth would you not want to be in your best way of being when you're trying to deal with things that are really difficult? Yes. Um, So it is simply that, that play is helping people learn. It helps people connect. It helps people communicate. It helps people understand when they're at their best so they can be more effective in whatever it is that they're actually doing mm. um and so the the metaphor i often use with my work is that the lego is just a trojan horse so people come to sessions because they think oh that sounds fun yeah. um and then we get there and it actually turns out to be quite quite useful surprisingly to people and so i think it's okay to put a softer edge on things yeah. to be able to have the harder conversations because that's where the safety part of my work Mm. you've got to make it desirable and safe for people to talk about stuff that they don't instinctively want to yeah and do you think that that mindset of playfulness is that is there also something in there around curiosity and inquisitiveness and being okay with not having the answers and permission to get it wrong because we're just playing it's okay like whereas you know like this is such a big whelming problem we've got to get this right this there's no you know room for error and and this is serious and and you you this expectation that we should all know a lot about climate when most of us probably don't do you think all those I think it's massively important so when I think about play the word that comes to mind is experimentation and mm. um, and everybody will have a different idea in their in their mind for a lot of people it's about joy but for me it's about it's about experimentation and so it's really it's really about unhooking yourself on outcomes so I'm not saying that all climate engagement should have no outcomes and we should just be, you know, running around willy-nilly doing whatever we want to do. But there is a space for, you know, in our in our working days and the way we're thinking about things is just to release ourselves from the the, the expectation, which really is a fear of failure when mm-hmm. you get into the, the, the topic in question. Um, But one of the key things that defines whether something is play or not is that it doesn't have an outcome. I was going to, I was just literally thinking like, but I want to know what the outcome is because I'm someone who's quite um, uh, outcome driven. I like to, to, you know, 
tie a conversation up with a nice neat bow and three nice neat outcomes and all that sort of thing and I'm like well I want to know what's going to change as a result of this yeah. and it may be that it's a slower process than that well I mean it could be I mean you know if we get all conceptual about it play can be play can be many things to many different people but I suppose the idea is that you're just doing something because you want to mm. and it's as simple as that so play is really exploring something because you feel like it because you're drawn to you lose track of time when you're doing it and you're having fun and you're probably learning something in the process so as kids we might think about that of people you know kids running around a football pitch or or whatever or playing some lego Mm. but for adults that can be anything you know that could be it could be reading it could be gardening it could be my work is play because I find it completely engrossing and I lose Mm. track of time so it's kind of intellectual state that people might have heard about yeah so trying to help people think about what play the more kind of conceptual side of my work is about helping people think and understand what play means to them Mm. and trying to tap into their own personal play preferences and then bringing that into their own work and then also being mindful of how other people like to play. And so it's a different kind of framing about how you engage people. So if anybody anybody listening, you know, does anything around training or education, um, learning and development, we often talk about different learning styles. Yeah. And we think about people who like to learn by reading things, by writing things, by trying stuff out. Um, but play styles is just a different way of kind of looking at it. Um, that's actually really very personal and very distinctive yeah the the question that I keep coming back to in my head is like I I like how does it work what do you do um so I think there's lots of different workshops that you do but you mentioned the Lego serious play so what does what does that look like what does a a workshop for one of them look like what does it look like also, well, there's really briefly, there's there's kind of three strands to my work. One is is workshops. So workshops or programs with organizations. So they could be private companies, they could be charities, they could be government departments, and it could be anybody really. And, um, and this to, is to be clear, like we're talking grown-ups, we're not talking, you know, going into I'm sure you probably could yeah, go into so schools I, and maybe some people do, but you you I only work with adults. Yeah. Um, because we're the decision makers. Yeah. And actually, we need to crack on people. So yeah, this whole thing of like, oh, the next generation are amazing. They're going to solve this. No, stop passing the buck. Like we've got to crack on pressure. It's too much pressure. Um, Yeah. So I do workshops, and then uh, the second side of it is I, I talk about play and the value of playfulness and environmentalism, which I guess this podcast is. (laughs) So thanks. And then the third part of it is that I. will very soon be starting to teach people the methods so that they can bring it in and and kind of try and democratize the approaches a bit but if I go back to your actual question (laughs) which was about um what do workshops physically look like so lego serious play essentially is rather than sitting around talking about stuff you sit around and build stuff and then you talk about it okay point is that you are using the lego as metaphors So each brick uh, will symbolise something. And the more bricks you put together and in different ways will tell more complicated stories. So it's a way of kind of tapping into people's experiences, their emotions, their reflections in a way that is different than if you just ask them straight out. Mm. 
you get very different answers if somebody has built something and then talked about it rather than if you just ask them cold, particularly on difficult questions. So practically what that means is uh, I tend to focus on barriers to climate action. So if there was a company, for example, let's just say there's a company and they've got a green network in there. They're a big company and they've got a green network in their organisation trying to get all of the different people from different departments to join up and think about how they can collaborate and what they can do. But it's just not working and mm. not quite sure why is I would then work out how to solve that problem and get people talking about what's really causing that through Lego. And I said this earlier, that the work is aimed at helping people engage more creatively, deeply and honestly. And what tends to happen is that things will surface through the Lego models that they would have been too afraid to share because they may have been scared of judgment. They right. may by their colleagues. They may uh, not believe that it's possible. They may not believe that the management's on board. They may believe that not everybody thinks the same and humans tend to think in packs. Yeah. So um, if you ask somebody individually um, or you ask them in a group setting, again, you'll get very different answers. Mm. But because the Lego sort of takes the heat out of it, what it means is that everybody builds everybody shares so you 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 take away the power dynamics of the group so people can be really honest and you get to the point really quickly because each little med each little lego model ends up working like a bullet point so you can get to the point super quickly super succinctly without having to sit there for four hours using up a lot of post-it notes so everyone's sat there with a pile of lego and yep. then what are the like the questions you ask or the prompts that you give? And, and, and I'm sure they vary in every um, situation. But for that scenario that you were talking about where like departments aren't coming together to yeah. what, what sorts of prompts are you giving them? And then what I, I just can't envisage what people then might <laughs> Is it just like a smoosh of Lego bricks together or do they build a tree or do they build a I don't know, like what? Yeah, um... yeah. I mean, it, it entirely depends on on the on the context and mm. that is just one example i've given you and i've used it in loads and loads of different different ways and lots of different types of people um as with any good kind of workshop you need to lean people in gently mm. um so what would practically happen is you'd have a period of time at the beginning where everyone gets used to playing with lego again and they all giggle like silly children yes thinking I'm at work and nearly always at least three people say I can't wait to get home and tell my kids I've been playing yes definitely and <laughs> um, so you'll do a bit of warm-up to get people building building lego um and 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 sort of grounding them in the in the topic but I guess you know in the example I gave it may be as simple as saying what's working well in terms of how the company is approaching sustainability and it may be as simple as that and then so, people... so then it's like, um, I don't know if people have ever played this game. So people are probably familiar with Pictionary, but there's a Creationary, which is a Lego version of it. And you get yes. a thing and you have yeah. to. So like, how can I build a mod, a Lego model of what's working well? Well, it's it's metaphorical. Yeah. 
actually. Uh, I should have sent you some Lego in the post. <laughs> we could have been doing it. I've got yeah, loads so of Lego upstairs. I don't need any more Lego, Lucy. <laughs> I guess you'd, you'd be looking at, you know, we, this is part of the warm-up process is you get people thinking about what different colours could signify, what different sizes of bricks, what different right. shapes, um, and what could they symbolise, you know. Mm. So I could give you a, a, a white square and someone could say, oh, it's an ice cap, it's a polar bear, right. it's an ice cream. What emotion is it? You could say oh, it might be fear, for example. Mm. Um, and so once you've done a bit of warm up and you you kind of ease into it, it's quite amazing what people can create. Um, and and often the simplest models are the best because they're extremely articulate. Mm. Um, and once people have built, you have a different different ways of doing it, but that people share with others and so the the approach is really based on deep listening so everybody builds everybody shares everybody gets equal time Um, and then the learning comes from what you've heard and so then you have a discussion about what's come out of of those discussions and they might answer the questions with lego or you might just talk about it and then you incrementally go through different questions you can make it more complicated so you can have um ways of people building collaboratively which is really for creating alignment because we need to believe that other people are on board Mm. so there's a a very strong emphasis on creating shared models because everybody feels like they own the outcome and in terms of working with organizations particularly is that one of the challenges that the in-house sustainability people feel for example is that it's all resting on their shoulders and so the, the brilliance of just physically building a Lego model that means something to everybody and they've all contributed to creates a real like shared sense yeah. of it. And so it increases the chances of people walking away and actually taking on board their actions. And I know you said it's not um, the thing about players that there, there are no expected outcomes and all those sorts of things. Yeah. But I really want to know some outcomes. <laughs> so so what shifts have you seen or what you know whether it is it that usually it then leads on to further conversations like it's quite one of the difficulties I find with um sort of working in this space is that that it's very hard sometimes to measure an outcome or to measure a progress and to give and obviously I think particularly companies probably really like a a KPI and a you know something there some figures and facts and stats that they can hang things on so um I'm aware that you might not have that, but in terms of stories, have you got some great stories of things that have happened as a result of the workshops? Yeah, and I think, you know, the outcomes thing is, it is difficult because obviously people need to feel like there's a point to it. Mm. The playfulness of approaching the workshop is, for me, and probably the person that's asked me to come and run it, is to be willing to go in a different direction if that's where the conversation goes. Right, yeah. Right, so... You know, the outcomes for a workshop will probably be something like understand where the organisation is on sustainability. Mm. I mean, that's a very big one. But it would be, you know, understand how different teams are working together mm. and come up with some actions that we can do differently. So there are outcomes for the workshop. Yeah. It's just that they're held quite lightly. And you're, yes. you're kind of being willing to to go sideways. But, yeah, I mean, there's... there's uh, there's some good examples of um, organisations that have really have really benefited from this. I'm trying to think. There was one uh, tech company I did a session for, and what was really illuminating for them is that they thought that everybody was on board and in a similar place, and they just weren't. 
Oh, wow. You know, they just weren't. And they were lovely. They were really good people. But they they had overassumed the level of input and alignment within the team. Yeah, it's easy and to think everybody thinks the same as me. Isn't yeah, it? and they just didn't. You know, the, the level of knowledge, the level of awareness, the level of feeling that they were able to contribute right. was very different. And so actually they then were able to go back and say, well, is the approach we're using working and do mm. we need to kind of go back to square one now for a half a day lego session to save yourself six months or another year of plodding plodding away and banging your head against the brick wall yes. thinking why doesn't why isn't Derek from accounts doing what he said he'd do <laughs> um and it is literally that or there's really tangible examples of companies who um you know, have really assessed their business models, for example, and really looked, you know, really looked quite hard at what they're doing and saying, well, how can we innovate? Because we mm. can't hold our head up high and say we're trying to do all of this great stuff if actually, you know, what we're physically selling isn't isn't helping. But one of the benefits with, with Lego is that it obviously visualises things. So we talked about that ball of wool at the beginning of, of this conversation you're trying to help kind of unravel it and kind mm. of get it out on paper effectively. So you, you end up with a table that's got loads of different models all over it and they're all connected and people understand what the bigger story is so that they're able to unpack it and see the connections between their activities, which goes back to the wicked problem thing a bit. So you can actually see how that problem is playing out in your mm. context. And then it's easier to have a conversation about, well, actually, what's really urgent here? What's a distraction? What are we excited about? And it just helps to unpack it and make it a little bit easier to digest for people. Yeah. From a from a, a business perspective, like you with your business, have you found it difficult? Because A, I think, you know, if we think about sustainability in the business context, I remember doing, like, I did a careers thing uh, at a school and saying like, sustainability jobs didn't exist when I was having my careers advice and all that. So they are relatively, A, a talking about sustainability within businesses is is relatively new. And then the fact that what you're doing is completely, as far as we're aware, unique and different. Yeah. So that you have that difficulty of trying to, a, I think sometimes getting an in to sustainability with a company can feel a little bit more difficult. Um, but then you're trying to do it in, in this completely novel way. And so having to to try and explain the benefits of it without necessarily having, as I said, these these concrete outcomes and things. Have, have you found that a difficult sell or have people been quite open and um, sort of ready for it? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. And it is, it is, a, it is a wiggly road in some ways. I think that it can be hard selling sustainability yeah. into organisations or the idea of selling anything that is perceived as an add-on mm. or as a non-essential because our, our understanding of what is essential is often not um, very accurate in my yes. mind. Um, can, can yes, sustainability be is still very much seen as a nice to have, as you say, an add-on. Yeah, or um, somebody know, else's problem. <laughs> yeah, whereas, you know, something like health and safety, it's like, oh, we, we yeah. have to do this. Like, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that, that is definitely changing, which is mm. the positive story to be told. But I think what what works for me most is that I, I make the people I mainly try and work with are in-house sustainability people. So the heads of sustainability, mm. sustainability officers, 
and and what I'm trying to do is solve their solve their pain points of how they get their organisations on board. Um, so relationships with them and, and trying to kind of really get the the benefits clear to them is quite important. But in practice, people benefit from experiencing it. Now that's yeah. you know, if I'm being honest, that's one of the business challenges because the more I can get people to experience it very quickly, people their brains say tick, that makes sense and then work out how to take it back. So one of the things for me next year is to be doing many more trial events and kind of public events to give people a chance to experience it. Because once, you, once you've done it and you see yes. the difference in the quality of the conversation, it's then easier to go back to the people that hold the money in your organisation and do a passionate pitch. Yes. Um, but I think it's, you know, climate change engagement, sustainability engagement, it is it is a... Uh, you know it's not a straightforward business mm. to to be yeah. getting into but I guess for me I just I really firmly believe that this approach helps reach people that aren't being reached by the most common forms of engagement yeah. and and that's part of the problem isn't it with um I'm very aware with it that a lot of what I do that you know I'll do, go and do a corporate lunch and learn and the people who are already interested in sustainability come along to the corporate lunch and learn and who we really need to be speaking to are those people who if we sat down and said to them are you worried about climate change would say yes but they're not going to give up their lunch hour because they've got x million no. things to do and loads of emails and and um same same with carbon literacy i'm very aware that i'm preaching to the choir you know at the vast yeah. amount of the time and and so there are some organizations that have done some uh, sort of quite progressive stuff like making it part of the staff onboarding process and all those sorts of things but as you say trying to find those ways to reach out of the uh, climate echo chamber and the bubble and and you know maybe if people are like oh but it's lego oh i don't really like climate but it's lego and so they they might go along because they're like yeah. curious they're curious yeah. about it i mean i think where where at the moment because climate plays comparatively new where i've tended to focus is on well-meaning organisations that need activating. Um, so at the moment, it tends to be more organisations who are earlier on in their thinking, and it's a way of kind of activating them. Ideally, what I'd like to be doing is working on an ongoing basis with organisations, but I'd really like to partner with other people who are doing sustainability you know, guidance work of any form, whether it's mm. literacy or, or anything else, because then there's an opportunity for me to kind of help at the key decision-making points. So how do you kind of open this up? When are you yeah. stuck? And you could come back to it. Um, and also that if I'm in workshops and people come up with all kinds of brilliant ideas and they're all excited, is to then be able to say, well, let me direct you to Jen Gale. She's got this great carbon literacy training. If you've identified that you need to increase your knowledge, yes. for example, yeah. So I, I very much see what I'm trying to do as part of an ecosystem. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to be territorial in any way yeah. and in, in no way saying that, you know, people come and do one workshop with me and then tickets all solved. Mm. Um, it's a catalyst, this work, really. And it's, you know, what I'm trying to do is stir the pot. Yeah. And then ideally would like to be able to direct people to other places where they can get the level of detail that they need to put things into action. It's I mean, it's... um. I think Jane Goodall's got a quote about, you know, your individual efforts being a part of a jigsaw. And I think that applies to 
us as genuine individuals in terms of the lifestyle choices and things but in terms of people like you and me and the different um uh none of them are solutions but the different uh approaches and different things and this is is such a wicked complex problem of course there's not that a one size fits all uh solution unfortunately um uh you know from tech through to engagement and comms and behavior change and all those sorts of things each each of those are a different piece of the jigsaw and each of those pieces has its own pieces of the jigsaw and um so yeah it's um I think it's so amazing to have another tool in the arsenal if that makes sense like an another another way because you know we need as many different ways of reaching and engaging with people as possible because it doesn't click with some people and it will click with other people and and that's amazing exactly and I think we shouldn't be too precious about whether my approach is the best approach mm, yeah yeah. You know, like I guess I I'm I'm just greasing the wheels really <laughs> what I'm trying to do is just keep things keep things moving um and just try and contribute in a way that that seems to make sense and if it doesn't work for everyone that's absolutely absolutely fine so you you mentioned that you know your plan for next year is to do more um almost sort of trial sessions and you have been I don't know when you started them but I certainly came on a sort of you know a lunchtime play session um that you'd been doing um are those still available between you might be having a break over December but like if people want to come and have a go and experience it that's something that you've got in the pipeline yeah, definitely. So there's a few things coming up. Um, the one ongoing thing, which you um, have just mentioned, is I run a monthly climate play meetup, which is always the first Thursday of the month uh, between one and two o'clock UK time. And that is less about my work. And that's more about just learning about different playful experimental approaches. So what we either do is we try a game or I get somebody else who's doing other work that's similar-ish to this. Yeah. And we'll come and talk about it. So in December, we've got deck Dr. Emma Fieldhouse from the How Bad Are, How Bad Are Bananas game. Yeah, and I, I totally want to get Emma to come on the podcast to talk about yes, what she does. Yeah, sure she'll be brilliant. Um, she also grew up about two miles away from me, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're on good terms. Um, so that's the first, uh, first Thursday of the month as a regular meetup. But then what people can expect next year is is more public workshops because I kind of work a little bit behind the scenes with um, with companies at the moment, but more public workshops um, where people can come and try it out um, and I can learn what works. So I'd like to do more community focused work yeah. for just yeah. anybody, members of the public. Some of those will be uh, in person, but they also work very well online because there's a lot of there's a lot of Lego in the world and it's mainly yes. in your houses, people. Um, and if you so, haven't got it, someone down the road will have. You can absolutely, get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can, and, uh, we can create a circular economy of Lego. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and then also I'll be launching training for other people who are working in climate engagement to learn a bit of the basics of play theory that we've briefly touched on, but also the Lego serious play methods and a few other methods that you can just, as you said earlier, add to your toolbox. Yeah. The, the Lego serious play, we've mentioned that a few times. Was that created by Lego or somebody just went, this is cool, I'm going to use Lego to do this? So it evolved from Lego. I think about 20 years ago, it evolved when somebody was in a strategy meeting, I think, when they suddenly realised that maybe they should try and use their, <laughs> their own mm. equipment to solve a problem. And I think, yes. it was, you know, it was an accidental invention. And from there, it's grown and it's an open source methodology. So anybody can use it. And if you Google it, there's loads of stuff online. 
Um, and so it's used, it is used very widely in lots of different contexts. Yeah. But I think particularly what I'm interested in is to help um, help people learn those skills themselves so that they can build it into their work. So it's more impactful for me to get more people having the tools to get people talking yeah. more openly than it is for me to only be invited very kindly by people to do workshops. I mean, that's, I, I think, similarly to the the approach Carbon Literacy have taken, that like if yeah. there's just one person who can deliver Carbon Literacy training in the whole country, it's going to take a hell of a long time to reach everyone. Yeah. But if you yeah. can have this model whereby it cascades out and people feel um, confident and capable of, of taking what they've learned and, and uh, you know, turning yeah. it into something that works for, for their organisation and things. Um, so if people are interested to to visit the climate play website and and check out um i mean i'm definitely going to book a space i hope there's still some available <laughs> on the workshop with emma in in december um i would also say to people as well like if you want to see how to facilitate online sessions because it's the only context i've seen you in lucy um the one i came to was brilliant because you were just so calm and unflappable and you were like I've never done this before. Let's have a go. You were literally modeling the, the yeah. sort of playful mindset that you were talking about. And I think for a lot of people, if they were, you know, if they've got to deliver an online session to people that they've never met before and things, they'd be like, oh my God, I've got to be uber prepared and and I've got to have the tech down to a T and all this. And you were like, let's just have a go. And I just thought that <laughs> that watching you do that, you know, having done a lot of online facilitation, I could really recognize like how skilled and and you know how you were really leaning into that that playful bit so if anybody wants some to pick up some tips on uh you know how to facilitate uh um incredibly well online do go and uh check that out um the before we leave like you know i, I like an outcome i like a, a take home <laughs> what for people listening at home if they're not the sustainability lead on an organization obviously yeah. they could if they have a sustainability lead they can go and say please can we have one of these workshops but if people are self-employed or they're you know all those sorts of things what are some ways that people can utilize play or to have maybe more climate conversations with their kids or with their partner or yeah. at work are there any ways that that sort of us amateurs can have a go mm -hmm. at it we're all we're all amateurs. It's just some of them have been uh, doing it for longer. Um, <laughs> so, thanks for your nice words as well. I appreciate it. Um, there's a couple of um, there's a couple of resources I can direct people to if that's okay. That yeah. the things that I find helpful. If you're a reader, there's an absolutely brilliant book that is just called Play, and it's by a guy called Dr. Stuart Brown, and it is it's a book that talks about play. What is it? And it talks about different styles of play. Um, and he talks about eight different styles of play and you read it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. So I definitely have a look at that. But if, you, if you're not a reader, it's just think about, well, when am I at my best? When am I enjoying myself most? What am I doing and what defines those experiences? And then you're thinking, well, actually, are there ways of me combining that into my own sustainability context, for example? So at a really personal level, for example, I really love cooking. And so one way for me to change my behaviours personally and cut down on, on dairy and the meat that I do eat is actually I find it really fun to learn new recipes because that is actually play for me. 
Well, that might Stepping sound out of that rut of the same yeah, five yeah, yeah. recipes that you do every week. <laughs> um, you can you can lead into lean into that. Um, but another really great resource again, if you're a reader, there's a brilliant book by the climate change coaches that is all aimed at how do you how do you talk to people about climate change, and it's all about listening and how you reframe and how you understand what's behind people's concerns and their behaviours. Um, so I definitely recommend having uh, having a look at that. Mm. But also the thing about outcomes, I know I'm giving you, <laughs> giving you outcomes and giving you some resources and then I'm going to turn it on its head, is I think is where possible is just try to apply less pressure to whatever it is that you're doing and mm. feeling like you need to be able to fix everything. And for me personally, one of the ways that I manage my own eco-anxiety, which is very present, yeah. is I think of myself as a contributor rather than a fixer, which yeah. is how I used to think. And if I think about what I can contribute into the bigger mix, uh, which has less pressure on outcomes and is inherently more playful, I'm more motivated, I'm more likely to carry on doing it, and I'm more likely to be smiling while I'm doing it. That's so helpful because I think my my mindset is very much this is on me and I've got to fix this and I've got to mm-hmm. fix this and you know this the the outcomes of this are really important and obviously big picture they're absolutely not um uh, I am a, a tiny cog in the wheel and a tiny piece of the jigsaw um so that uh yeah contribute what what can I contribute how can yeah. I contribute um yeah. it's not all on me I am part of a much bigger picture I think that that will be so helpful for people because whether whether they're just thinking about it in the context of their own family or whether they are somebody who's trying to get some stuff going at school or work or whatever it might be that th- th- it can feel like it's all on you and there's a lot of pressure yeah. to do that so that that really uh, you know uh, subtle but at the same time huge shift in in mindset with just a flip of a word I think that's incredibly mm-hmm. helpful thank you and can I just say, Jen, you're a fabulous cog or a wheel. <laughs> Don't do yourself down. I think you're, you're doing wonderful work. But it is that, you know, how can I turn the dial? How can I just move things? You know, if 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 your conversations with your family are slightly stuck and you keep keep having the same arguments, just literally, how can I move it a couple of percent? Yes. And then that is just literally how we create. We yeah. loosen things up and we create momentum amazing oh thank you so much lucy i will i will link in the show notes to the website and everything but just for people who are listening can you let us know um the website and any socials or anything people can come and find you on i absolutely can so it's very simply www.climateplay.org and the best social is to find me and climate play on linkedin so my name's lucy hawthorne or you can search for climate play on linkedin and uh, you can sign up to the mailing list Uh, and find out about all of the things that are coming up via the website amazing thank you so much Lucy thank you for for your time today and thank you for you know being this brave pioneer into a (laughs) a different way of doing things it it takes you know you've laughed when I've said that but it takes courage to to step out and to try something different and to have a go at, at something else when that path hasn't already been forged so a huge thank you to you for for everything that you're doing well, thank you very much. And I will uh, I will take brave uh, and uh, I'll happily try and put that into my work a bit more. But thanks. Thanks very much. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Jen. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed chatting to Lucy. 
I don't know about you, but I am definitely going to be working harder at bringing more playfulness into my work. Although, is working harder to be more playful a contradiction? (laughs) Sounds like it probably is. As ever, do let me know your thoughts on this one. Did you relate to that contributor bit at the end, taking the pressure off, fixing this whole complex, overwhelming, enormous issue? Of course, we can't fix it as just one person, but we can contribute um, and we can all contribute different things, which is what's so amazing. Um, I certainly related to that and I'm really going to try and hold on to that and remember it. So please do drop me an email with your thoughts on jen at sustainableish.co.uk or you can come and find me on social media where I am at sustainableish pretty much everywhere. So on with this week's good news section. First up, a website called ENDS Report, which is apparently the UK's number one source of intelligence for environmental professionals, shared the story that the new UK Environment Secretary Steve Barclay has announced that he will reconsider plans to make food waste reporting mandatory for large businesses following a legal threat from a campaign group. Now, this is good news as food waste is a really big contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. And it also seems to be quite a popular policy with 99% of those who were consulted about it being in favour of it. It was, however, scrapped after concerns about its impact on inflation, despite DEFRA's own impact assessment, stating that large businesses would only have to prevent 0.25%, so a quarter of a percent of the food waste that they create each year to offset the costs of the regulation. Now, earlier this year, campaign group Feedback announced it was launching legal action against the government's decision to scrap the plan. And in an update to the consultation page published last week, the new Environment Secretary, Steve Barclay, said that DEFRA will now reconsider this legislation. In other UK news, and with apologies to overseas listeners for the UK-centric good news this week, a second UK company has appointed the natural world to its board. This was reported in Positive News and the article states that in November, House of Hackney, an interiors company, became the second company to appoint a human nature guardian, giving them a formal vote on corporate decisions that might affect long-term sustainability. They were inspired to make this move by eco-beauty firm Faith in Nature, who pioneered this concept in 2022 with the help of community interest company Lawyers for Nature. And the idea is that having a presence... On the board, speaking for nature means that nature and the environment are more likely to be taken into consideration when making decisions about the running of the business. And much closer to home, a comment from Nicola on LinkedIn uh, that I spotted earlier on this week. Now, Nicola came on my carbon literacy course and she was just sharing her certificate with her LinkedIn community. And I wanted to share it because... Well, you'll see. So she says, proud of this one. Thank you to Jen at Sustainableish for taking what I find to be a minefield and distilling it down to the individual level and how we can actually make a difference with some small brackets or big adjustments to our thinking and lifestyles. Nicholas says, one of my pledges was to commit to one meat-free meal a week and I initially thought I would struggle with this, but a few months down the line, it has not been as bad as I was expecting. And that's the good news bit. She says, with this one act, I'm helping to save um, hundreds of kilos of carbon dioxide equivalent across the year. 
and she says if like me you find the climate situation we're facing a challenge to get your head around and you have the opportunity to undertake carbon literacy training I highly recommend that you take it now that's good news um with a little bit of a plug for my carbon literacy course (laughs) so if you uh, are interested in um the carbon literacy course there is one more round happening before the end of this year that's happening on the 5th and 6th of December so I will pop the link to that in the show notes and there are more dates available into the new year so that's it for this week thank you so much for joining me I hope you listened with a smile and you are skipping off to think about ways that you can incorporate that so important playful mindset into the stuff that you're doing to be a bit more sustainable-ish and have a think about how you might be able to do it or do more of it with a smile on your face And speaking of smiles on faces, do you know what would put a big smile on my face? If you could leave a rating or a review for the podcast, of course, that's what would put a big smile on my face. And please, please do share it with friends and family. Thank you once again for joining me. Have a wonderful week and I will catch you next time. Take care.